Hello, good morning, and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show Radio to Open the Heart, Heal the Soul, Awaken the Consciousness. Benny, are you awake? I am always awake for you. Yes. Oh, hi. I feel hi. I feel, it's like stretching. You know, <laughs> we have to have some of those mornings, right? Yeah, we do. We mm -hmm. definitely do. And and especially because we don't know what the weather's doing. It's um, fine. I think it was the day before yesterday. <laughs> I, I think I had everything. I woke up with, I thought it was a little bit of snow. And then it was raining. And then it was really windy. And then it was sunny. And then it was dark clouds. And I love it. It just gives you a little bit of everything. Well, just right? like you and Mother Nature, you are drawing a great comparison. You're just leaving everyone on your toes on what to expect for the day. So um, that's what I think is, impo is important and enjoyable about you. Well, I think it is. Right? Thank you very much. You're I welcome. That. Was that good? Was that all right? Did I, did I save you on that one? You know, you you, you always do. <laughs> oh, you, know, Betty. Right. you always do. Yeah. By the way, a lot of my... Um, Listeners send me emails and they always want me to convey to you how much they love and appreciate you, Benny. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah, people it. do it all the time. They're like, oh, Benny is the best. <laughs> we love Benny. Oh, thank you And very I much. go, it's true. So I wanted to make sure I passed that on to you because, you know, yeah, I get a few emails every week about that. So. Oh, well, you know, know. You're, you're welcome to send them on to me <laughs> I mean, if, if I want to look will. at them. Yeah, okay. I will do that. Yeah, I will do that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So <laughs> um, I, I just want to say this. I think it is important to tell people uh, that we appreciate them. Mm -hmm. And I think we often forget to do it. So right. for all of you people out there that take the time to send it in, um, thank you. Yeah. You know, really does make a difference. It's yeah. the little things. I, I couldn't agree more. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. Uh, very true. Very, very true. So uh, I am. Uh, Loretta Brown, huh? the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area for close to 30 years, which is crazy. Um, I do have lots of offerings at Reiki Oasis, and you can go to ReikiOasis.com and find out more about that. Get on that mailing list, uh, sign up for the newsletter. You'll get notifications of all that kind of stuff. Quick check-in with astrology, and then I have a wonderful guest today. I'm really looking forward to having him on the show, and you're going to really enjoy it. So. Ah, but I can't skip astrology because we're in massive astrology right now, in case people aren't paying attention. Uh, we just experienced the biggest event of the year, which was on right now on the date of this show. It's April 20th. But last night here in the great Pacific Northwest, we had an Aries total new moon solar eclipse. It's the second new moon in Aries, the last being at the spring solstice at zero degrees Aries. And this one went at 29 degrees Aries right at the end. And on this eclipse, the sun was completely eclipsed. And there are places on the planet where you could watch that. And when it's completely eclipsed, it makes it particularly potent and life-affecting for not only the next six months, but because we've got so much else, other stuff going on, it's for the next 20 years. So... Take a few moments, if you haven't already done it, and think about your life, the trajectory of your life, what's going on. Is this what you want to be doing? Is this where you want to be? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe there's something else that is calling to you, or maybe there's something that wants to happen. So solar eclipses signify new beginnings in the evolution of our soul journey. 
And as it falls in Aries, the sign connected to new beginnings, this energy is magnified. The eclipse is powerful for setting intentions, visualizing outcomes, and seeking opportunities. And it, as it falls in Aries, it also brings a brand new eclipse cycle that we will be working with for the next 18 months. And pay attention, there's another big eclipse coming at the beginning of May. It will be a lunar eclipse. And um, I'm just here to tell you this, this, these are illuminating events. They're pulling things out from under the carpet or from behind the door. And uh, that's personally as well as globally. Today, April 20, the sun moves out of fiery Aries into earthy grounded Taurus. And this is going to kind of ground things, slow them down a little bit. It might help everybody find their footing. A lot of my clients have been talking about they just, well, I don't know. They're all, either all over the place or they're oblivious, oblivious to what's going on, right? You know, that's how we all are. And uh, this is a great time for you to attend to your finances. And if you've got anything going on financially, uh, try to get in there and get it taken care of. And also... Um, uh, we've got Mercury uh, going to go retrograde. I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. Also on this day, April 20th, the sun squares Pluto for the first time since moving into Aquarius a few weeks ago. The sun in Taurus and the Pluto and Pluto in Aquarius will create a square configuration in our cosmic skies, helping to evolve the storyline of Pluto's move into Aquarius where it will spend the next 20 years. And uh, the last time Pluto was in Aquarius was over 200 years ago. So this is a rare and a once in a lifetime energy to work with Pluto. And it's it, 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 it's a planet of trans, per, excuse me, transformation and power. It's got a hold of me. And Aquarius is a site of revolution, technology, freedom, healing, and community. Yeah. So the world is never going to be the same and neither are you. Um, as I said, Mercury this Friday, we have the very first planet going retrograde since January. Of course, it's Mercury, planet of communication, and it goes retrograde in the sign of Taurus until May 14 and 15. Sometimes Mercury retrograde can cloud our thinking, causing us to overlook things or miss important details Remember that retrogrades are just an opportunity to go back and rethink things, maybe rethink communications or what is it that's going on. Um, and also, it's it's a little bit of a, I always believe we're greater than the stars, but it's a little bit of a thing. I'm an energy worker, and for me, everything is energy. So just tune in, tune up, and uh, you'll be able to navigate everything just fine. Uh, also, coming up Monday, April 24th, the sun conjuncts the north node in Taurus for the last time for another 18 years. And later this year, the north node will move into Aries, creating a new cycle. The north node represents our highest destiny and where we are heading. As the north node wraps up its journey in Taurus and aligns with the sun for the last time, the lessons of its time are concentrated it's this North Node in Taurus has been guiding us to focus on our relationships with the material, abundance, and self-worth. And perhaps you've noticed these areas triggered in your life recently. Hmm. 
Where have you felt called to adjust your relationships with material possessions or even the material world? Maybe it's time for you. You've been challenged with giving and receiving abundance. Maybe your self-worth has been challenged. Have you felt called to stand up for yourself or advocate for yourself more than usual over this last little period of time? And there are a fan, these are fantastic questions to ponder in these astrological cosmic weather. Wow. I can't, I, I got to tell you, that is the greatest segue ever to bring my guest onto the show, especially if you've been wondering, do I like my life? The last uh, few years with uh, the lockdowns and all of this has brought a lot of people into their homes. A lot of people have realized <laughs> they've had to slow down a little bit. They've actually realized they're kind of unhappy or they would really like to go do something else. So my guest today, Ray Martin also known as the Daily Explorer, is an entrepreneur, an award-winning business leader. And in 2005, shattered by divorce and the loss of his father, Ray Martin decided to let go of being a successful business leader <laughs> to embark on a journey of reinvention by taking a little six-month sabbatical that apparently lasted 14 years. It's probably still going on, Ray, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about his journey. He's written a great book called Life Without a Tie. Finding your path amidst the noise, chaos, and pressure to conform. Thanks to thanks for coming on the show, Ray. Oh, it's <laughs> an absolute pleasure. I love coming on to the shows, particularly in America, because I, you know, nobody knows me in America. So it's lovely to meet all the <laughs> People are listening. So hi to everybody. Yeah. Hi. Hi, everyone. I am just, uh, I read your book and I just loved it. Um, and I want to, I want to create some background for people so they know sure. who you are. Cause you're right. We don't know who you are. Who are you? Why are yeah. You? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a 62 year old English man. I, I, I've sort of spent my career in commerce. Um, you know, I, I always had a dream when I was younger to be a successful and well-known businessman. And when I got to my early 40s and had accomplished that, I realized that I hadn't really thought that deeply when I was much younger about what would bring true happiness because I was in that life and recognized as someone that's successful. I didn't feel very happy in that life at all. In fact, I felt actually quite trapped. Um, and that's where I got to. Uh, before you go on, I want to ask you a question. Well, maybe maybe I'm jumping the gun on this question, but I'm yeah. going to throw it out there anyway. Um, you know, it's my understanding that you had built a very successful business that was really a very high consciousness sort of a thing. Yes. Where, uh, and you can explain to the audience better than I could, but it's, you know, where you're helping businesses do things in a different way. I mean, you even yes. mentioned in your book about how all the people that worked for you, you worked really hard for this type of synergy or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it didn't work for you. So could you tell us a little bit more? Because I'm so curious about that, right? Yeah, yeah. As a youngster, I always looked to, to to do work where I felt there was meaning, you know, where it was like I was doing it for a really good reason or a solid purpose to help society or to do something really worthwhile in the community or something. It had to, for me, it was always important to have something that meant something. 
because I find it quite hard to believe in things that don't I don't, I don't mean anything. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did fortunately ended up working for someone who had a fantastic mission in the world. And I was a loyal servant for about 10 or 12 years. And then I thought I'd really like to see if I can replicate that for myself and start an organization. And the purpose I had was to bring sort of humanity to the workplace because in customer service environments and call centers and a lot of these kinds of places where there's thousands of people working, yeah. there's a very high turnover of staff because people aren't treated like human beings. They're treated like numbers and they're given very sort of strict rules at work. And, you know, a lot of people leave, they're feeling like they just don't really have any belonging to the company, any loyalty as such. And I thought that's, that's must be costing companies millions of dollars. That's got to change. And so I set out on a crusade and a mission to bring to the awareness of leaders, you know, if you could treat people with dignity as real human beings and invest in their development and in their consciousness and their awareness and how happy they are and make work a place which enriches their lives, they'll stay longer, they'll work harder and your business will make more profit. You know, so it was, wasn't just altruistic, it had a financial element to it. And we even deployed some financial business modelers to prove that there was an uplift in profits from any work that we did and actually got some data to to verify that. Wow. Um, I, you know, I live in the Seattle area where tech, tech, lots of techie companies here, yeah. right? Yeah. And right. there is that idea of, of running people through, right? You yeah. bring them in and kind of suck them dry and spit them out the other end and bring more people in, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's that, that, um, as I call it, it's soul sucking sort of uh, yeah. wage slave mentality, right? Yeah, and there are exceptions. You know, I worked for some leaders who really cared for me. They really took me under their wing, and they were really personally interested in my life, not just my performance at work. And they yeah. wanted me to be happy and successful, and they yeah. acted that way and treated me with love and kindness, even though. Sometimes it was harsh, brutal support at work to do to do things well. It came from a place of loving kindness. And I, I'll never forget those people. They've stayed in my memory for all my life. And I'm sure yeah. it's the same for your listeners. You know, we always remember those people who give us the radical support and radical challenge when we need it. Well, and, and you're 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 touching on a couple of things. Number one, mm. what I call community. Like, like, like we are people, people are people mm. and people get dehumanized in so many different ways. Right. Mm. Mm. And also this sense of purpose or fulfillment or mm. something along that line. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you created this amazing, very oh, profitable yeah. business. And then mm. what happened? Well, I was, it, was a, it was a dream and a vision of me and my business partner, who coincidentally was the woman I was married to. And that was when we were, we were just uh, engaged to be married when we decided to leave our employment and start the company. And it was our, our first child was the company, if you like, before we actually had children. And uh, we both had a shared vision and we were both passionate about bringing this humanity to the workplace. And we worked brilliantly together. We were like a dream team. We were so complimentary we didn't overlap in our skill sets or anything it was beautiful it was like um a, i don't know if you remember the ice skaters torville and dean who were so ah, yeah, yeah. together yeah now, this is how i felt working with charlotte her name is 
And, um, and so for 10 years, we just built this beautiful business and we got some great people in and we in, encouraged and motivated them to, you know, fully take on the mission with us and everyone was aligned. And after a sort of 10 years, I became the Daily Telegraph business leader of the year in England for the work I'd done as CEO of the company. And so everything was kind of great. However, it was so full on. It was so much part of my, I didn't really pay attention to anything else other than the company. And so my personal relationship with Charlotte had really taken a toll and it wasn't working brilliantly. And our marriage was, you know, had question marks around it, you know, the long-term longevity of it. And one day she came back from a business trip and said, quite suddenly, I'm leaving you and I'm leaving the company. And wow. it was about a few months after I'd won this award. And so um, it came at a time where I was in the public eye and I, and I suddenly felt a lot of fear about the possibility of being humiliated, a bit of guilt, shame about having to tell the world, wow, my, my wife's leaving and she's leaving me in the company. Wow. And it was, yeah. it was an awfully difficult time for me, but it was also on some level, a massive wake up call, like uh, my spirit had gone to sleep in some senses. Mm -hmm because the company had done so well financially, I'd sort of shifted my attention and awareness from who am I being in the world as a, as a being, a love, loving being, to how can we make more money this year? And it was a subtle shift that happened a little bit, a little bit, a little bit over time, but I'd sort of gone much more in that direction and forgotten that my original reason for doing it was, was, was motivated by spirit, not by money. And it woke me up. And it, and at the same time this was happening, my father got very ill and he died. And so within two or three months, I was out of my marriage. My dad had passed away. I was leaving the home that we'd had together and I was having to dismantle the company. So everything was collapsing, literally. <laughs> I said in the book, you probably remember, I described it as standing in a bomb crater about 100 meters wide and yeah. turning around 360 and just seeing destruction everywhere. Yeah. And the whole, and it just, I, 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 I mean, I, I remember it now because it was many years ago, but it was devastating. I really was paralyzed with sort of sadness, fear, couldn't move. I was, it was the one of the worst, probably the worst year of my life that year. I, um, you know, it's one of the things I'm, I'm very interested in these sorts mm. of <laughs> the tower moments in people's lives right. because sometimes our life does. What, what do you call it? A tower, tower? What do you call it? A tower moment? A tower, tower, T-O-W-E-R, like a tower falling. Okay. It's like okay. something's blowing up. I call it a oh, tower. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I, it's just a Loretta-ism, right? right. Um, but I also know that, um, you know, when we look at our lives, that there's going to be these, what I call indicators somewhere that maybe there's something is going to need to change. Mm. And then if you don't pay attention to those things, they get louder in life. Yeah. And and when your life blows up, I, to me, I'm like, it's a great initiation, but man, that's hard. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you lost everything in a very short period of time. I think in your book, it's three months period of time. You went from yeah. this, this award to boom, there yeah. you are. And yeah. I can't even imagine um, really how devastating that is because everything that you used to identify yourself with was gone. Yeah, it was it was a real shock, and I didn't know how to. Even though I work in the field of coaching, I'm a leadership coach, 
And so I often meet people in my life these days who are in similar situations and I'm there to support them. And I, I just couldn't see my way out of it. It was dark. And I came across this book by a lady called Bronnie Ware, which I'm sure a lot oh, of your readers, oh, might have, the listeners might have heard of, because she wrote about the top five regrets of the dying. It's a very famous book. And this was the book I needed to read in that moment because she said she'd spoken to over a thousand people in the last days of their lives. And every single one of them, when she asked them the question, what do you most regret? They'd all said the same five things, no matter whether they were a CEO, a millionaire, a janitor, it didn't matter. They all said the same five things. And the number one thing that everyone regrets on their deathbed is how she described it was, I wished I'd lived my life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. And that just hit me right between the eyes like a bullet. And I thought, that's me. I've been a successful CEO, which was the life that others expected of me, and I've delivered. But it's not the life that's true for me. And I thought, do you know what? I don't know what the life that's true for me is. I don't even know. I have no idea. I know, I, and then I knew I needed to go on some kind of journey to mm -hmm. discover what that was, at least to get into a different environment for a while, change the scenery a bit. And so some very close and supportive friends said, why don't you take a six-month sabbatical? to give yourself time to reflect on that. And I said, that's a really good idea. So I mineralized my life. I sold my house in London. I gave away most of the stuff I owned, left myself with a literally a bag of clothes, 22 kilos and a laptop computer and headed for Asia because I'd never been to Asia and I'd never been a backpacker. And I was in my early forties and I really wanted to do both. And, and I thought in Asia, there are people with spiritual wisdom. And I can find out who they are and go and speak to them, learn something and reflect on this. And uh, so I did that thinking I'd be back in six months with myself all sorted and I'd start a new business <laughs> and get a new home. That's how I actually imagined it. I didn't, I just said goodbye for six months to everybody. I'll, I'll, I'll be back shortly. Yeah, I really myself. did. I was convinced I was going to be back sort of like a few months later. I have this funny image in my head of you with this little checklist going, yes, I'll just do these 10 things and I'll be fine. What's the problem? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Problem, solution, bad. And here we go. Um, yeah. So you went to Asia, uh, 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 Chiang Mai, right? Yeah. I've been to Chiang Mai. So why, why Chiang Mai? Why? Well, I didn't go okay. there initially. I went to another part of Thailand because uh, I knew, I knew okay. somebody else who was also traveling around Thailand, a, a woman called Annie, uh, and I wrote about her and how we met in the book. Yeah. And she invited me to go traveling with her. And I, I was, I liked Annie and I thought there was a potential for us to maybe even have a long-term relationship. So I said, let's, mm -hmm. let's try it out. Let's do it together and let's see what happens. You know, we traveled together for about a year and a half in, before we split. Um, but it was enough to get me going because I lacked the confidence and the, I was quite frightened of being a solo traveler and she had done a lots of it and she was just giving me the confidence to, to go and take the risk yeah. and make the leap yeah. it's lovely we got on pretty well and uh, so we both after a few months in Thailand had heard that Chiang Mai was a great place and that lots of travelers from all over the world were coming there and they had lots of meditation yoga and mind opening type things that we were interested in plus a university where we learned how to become TEFL teachers. We wanted to get our certificates to teach English as a foreign language so that we always had a teaching qualification to fall back on as we were traveling. And so we, we enrolled in the university program and we both got our certificates to teach. 
Um, I think it's providential and really wonderful that um, you met Annie and, it began, and then you had someone to kind of help you get your feet wet yeah. Yeah. And, and enter into that. Like, I, I just think that's such a, a wonderful thing, such a blessing. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking about, and, and you do, uh, y- you cover so much of this, but I'm trying to be succinct for the audience. That's okay. I, I'm, I uh, am thinking, okay, you, you go from this very busy life, this very, you know, striving for this. And like you say, yeah, you, you got your eyes off the target. And it was all about how much money are we going to make, right? Which <laughs> I think that always makes people unhappy because you never make enough. And then you go to this lifestyle where you're not not really doing much of anything. Um, I, I don't know if you can say anything about that little transitional bit there. Yeah, um, I can. It's yeah. inc- I found it personally extremely uncomfortable because I had a lot of guilt and shame almost about having sort of yeah. left the rat race. Yeah, I sort of felt like I'd taken myself out of the game and wanted to hide away in shame that I wasn't being a sort of taxpaying citizen and doing my bit and you know, living the mainstream life that all of my <laughs> friends and family were living. I thought they'd think I'd gone crazy or something. Well, plus the fact, you know, people have a tendency, at least here in the in the States, to say, well, so what do you do? And you're like, oh, yeah. I'm laying on the beach and I'm... <laughs> well, I was, I was doing some shop, of that, you know, but, yeah. I, but I was in a sort of more like an inner journey with some pleasant surroundings yeah. on the outside. But I was searching for knowledge and understanding partly of myself because I needed to take ownership. Okay, it wasn't brilliant that my wife said I'm leaving you, etc. But I thought I had a part to play in that through the way I showed up in the relationship. I can't deny that I had some ownership in that outcome. Yeah, sure. And so what I had to know what that was about and where it was coming from in me. And more importantly, how I could change and improve as a human being in future relationships. So I wanted to learn about that. And then the second thing I thought, you know, I've lost my way in terms of my guiding principles for life. How do I regain those or re- recreate a set of guiding principles now that will see me through the next 10 or 15 years safely right. in a way I want to live? And so that was I was in the process of discovery. So the scenery and the surface, it will look great. But on the inside, I was in a lot of turmoil, yeah. it was a huge transition. And I even in the book wrote about a guy called William Bridges, who's written many books on transitions. He's one of the thought leaders in the world on transitions. And I, was, I read everything he wrote. And uh, I was describing what it's like. It's like trying to get over a high wall and you can't sort of somehow get over it or past it. And you're just repeatedly stuck at the same point until suddenly you have a breakthrough and then you're over or through it. But he says, you know, in his work, he's, he's seen it, 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 a transition. When you have an ending, we want to, because it's so uncomfortable when something ends, like a marriage or a job, we want to go straight to the new beginning immediately with no space in between. And Bridges says that in between these two is a space that he calls the neutral zone. And that neutral zone can last several weeks, months, or even a couple of years in some cases. Mm -hmm. And in that neutral zone, you're going from the caterpillar to the butterfly. So you're in this metamorphosis process. You're you're in a cocoon. Nothing looks visibly different from the outside. From the outside, it looks like nothing's happening. But on the inside, what this massive change is going on in that you're reconfiguring your mind and your heart and your thinking and your beliefs everything's changing and then later when you come out of the cocoon it's different and so i was in this cocoon period and i didn't know how long it was going to take Mm -hmm. and that's the nature of a 
a transition. It's this neutral zone has got its own rules, which I've put in the book for people who want to use them. Um, and it occurred to me. So there are things like, you know, you don't make any big decisions while you're in the neutral zone. You set up temporary structures. You try and look after yourself in little ways. Be kind to yourself because it's very tough psychologically. And I, I'm the kind of person that beats myself up a lot. I'm very yeah. critical to yeah. myself. Yeah. So I set this principle of self-acceptance. I made a promise to myself while I was in the cocoon that I would treat myself with love and kindness and speak to myself in my own thinking in a kind way. Because honestly, if someone had a tape recorder and they recorded my thinking to, as I spoke to myself, yeah. as if let's say, was a, let's say I had a, uh, I lived in an apartment with a roommate and the roommate was speaking to me the way I speak to myself, I would have <laughs> kicked them out after one day. I would never let someone speak to me like that. Yeah. So that's how I was speaking to myself very cruelly and unkindly. You idiot, you're useless. You know, you don't deserve anything. You're... Yeah, yeah. I, um, wow, I so appreciate what you just said. And I, I, I just kind of want to take that and, you know, give it to the listening audience also because, you know, all of us go through change and all of us, this cocoon thing. I love what you said there. Like, I'm thinking about how the, the, that, that caterpillar is just like jelly in there, like, uh, yeah. what's going on inside there, right? And then pretty soon, wah, you know, it comes yeah. a butterfly. But to be kind to ourselves and, and to set up those parameters, especially you were saying, uh, setting up structure, you know, things that will support you as you go through this vulnerable vulnerable time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think renee brown has done some brilliant work on yeah. this. she's one of the she's probably the most listened to person now on yeah. vulnerability and these kinds of transitions she's, she's excellent yeah yeah, yeah. so we're going to take a little station break and mm. i'm loving this conversation okay. um, <laughs> i'm i'm loretta brown my guest today ray martin life without a tie. Hmm. I bet that's got more than one meaning. Anyway, don't go away. Uh, we'll be right back. We're going to uh, talk a little bit more about what is it like when you unplug and how do you find yourself then? Anyway, we'll be right back. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but... It's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games. But I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. 
Hi, this is Eric Ryder, Operations Manager for 1150 AM KKNW. We value your opinion and invite you to 1150kknw.com to fill out the 2023 KKNW Listener Survey. Your responses help us to shape KKNW to your listening needs. As an added incentive, when you fill out the survey, you'll have a chance to win an awesome prize. Complete contest details and your opportunity to help us shape this station can be found at 1150kknw.com. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show with my guest, Ray Martin. We're talking about his book, Life Without a Tie. I want to remind everybody that these shows are archived. You can download them for free at the KKNW 1150 AM archives for the original Loretta Brown Show. And, of course, we're on iTunes, Podcast One, Megaphone, uh, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Spotify, I'm sure I've left something out. Anyway, obviously, they're all over the place. So please uh, download, uh, listen. And you can also find Ray Martin at Ray, where, what's your website? Lifewithoutatie.com. Nice <laughs> and, and easy to remember. Yeah, lifewithoutatie.com. I like that. So the title, Life Without a Tie. So it's more than just a tie that yeah, you wear you... on your body, right? Yeah, exactly. It came to me when I was in Asia mm. and I was, I'd started writing the early pages of the book, but I wasn't really sure how it was shaping up or what it was, how it was going to flow. And I was thinking, what should I call this? Because it was a, a story of someone leaving a, a, a known life and going into the unknown, which is often how Joseph Campbell speaks about it in The Hero's Journey, which is very well-known material on storytelling. You know, the protagonist goes into the unknown to discover something new, conquers some kind of challenge, and then brings the new wisdom back to his old life or her old life and shares the, the jewels with the village. So I was kind of on this arc of storyline. I thought, what should I call this book? And I think it was just running one morning, and suddenly the, the, the name Life Without a Tie just seemed to fall into my head from the sky. Life Without a Tie, I went, that's it. Life Without a Tie, that's it. Yeah, that's and it. Was two, it was 2013. And so the first thing I did when I got back from a run was I got onto the internet and I registered the domain lifewithoutatie.com. But I didn't actually make that domain live until last year, 2022. So it sat dormant for nine years until I finished. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I knew from that moment and why I knew it was perfect was because as a business leader at the time I was a businessman, we were wearing suits and ties for the most part. Sure. And so it was the removal of my business tie, but also it occurred to me that in my life, the four yeah. ties that hold our lives in place from an identity stance, the four ties are your, your partner or spouse, your house in England, having a house is a tie, your community of friends and family, and your career. Those are the four things that define all of us and keep us stuck. You know, I have sometimes, and I coach a lot of CEOs and senior leaders and some of them say you know I, i've got this opportunity to take a career move it's in another city but my wife doesn't want me to take it because she thinks it will disrupt the family life right. and so these these are right. common issues you know these right. are these yeah. ties really actually really operate on people's lives yeah that's actually true because i have a lot of people that said well i would like to do blah yeah but the family or the spouse or what, or the job. Yeah. Right? yeah or the job or, or I want to yeah. do this, but my kids aren't growing up and I, I need to put them first until I, until I'm ready. 
so your life blew up. So yeah. it, it did it for you. And yeah, it did. Um, then you ended up um, beginning to, uh, you got rid of everything. You really yep. had just your backpack, your laptop and yep. whatever, a few things. And you yep. started to travel around. Um, and we were talking during the break about, like I, I was like, what's that like to really do that? Like, I think right. there's a longing in all of us to be uh, a little bit footloose and fancy free, or maybe it's just Loretta talking. But anyway, um, what is it like when you really change your life and you you learn to live in the present moment? Well, for me, it was beautiful. You know, I was mm -hmm. I was mostly really loving the difference of the life because I'd only known one way of living since I was 15 years old. You know, so I, I never had even any contrast of any kind. You know, I, I always thought when I was in leaving school to go into work and being in business, that, that was how everyone lived. I had no idea that people lived very different lives to me, you know, lots of different versions and flavors of life. And I, I'd never actually tried a totally different life until mm -hmm. I went traveling. And so it was, I know, I was wearing shorts and sandals. I was meeting hippies <laughs> and I was meeting all sorts of interesting religious characters. And I was reading kind of books I never read before. And I was going into yoga classes and doing many, many, many things, which for me were brand new and I've never done in my life. And so consequently, my mind was being altered because I was having conversations of a different kind and learning insights of a different kind and everything was different. I was eating food in Asia, but that's totally different to British food. Yeah, you know, and, and the way that restaurants work and everything was different. So it, it was just it was just massively different and quite exciting because of it. And of course, meeting lots of other travelers as well and hearing their stories made it even more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, at at one point, pretty early in your journey, you ended up doing a thirty day um, meditation. I think it was a thirty day. Mm. At, a ten day, of, uh, ten days. Ten days was yeah. ten days, and yeah. Uh, can you tell us about that? Because I think it's kind of pivotal. Yeah, um, it was. It really mm -hmm. was. It came about because I, it was about six months into the trip, and I was in this paradise setting, but I was inside in me in turmoil. I was very agitated, very scared about the future, very worried about how my life was going to kind of work itself out because I couldn't see with any clarity where it where this journey was headed. And another traveler I spoke to in a coffee shop and I told him about it and how anxious I was. And he said, you know what, Ray, you should do a Vipassana meditation retreat. I, I didn't even know what that was. I'd never heard of meditation. I, did, I had no idea. I said, what is that? He said, well, you, you know, you go into a monastery and you sit in silence for 10 days with monks and you, you meditate. And then they sit with you and they teach you about the, the Dharma, the Buddhist teaching. And it's very very eye-opening and, and it will ground you and I thought god I've never been silent for 10 minutes let alone 10 days <laughs> thought, no, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it he said no you'll 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 be okay you know once you get into the swing of it and so I decided to, to try it out on the advice of another traveler and it and it was brilliant yeah. and I felt it's like someone had taken if I had a volume knob on the side of my head for the noise in my head it was yeah. on 10 out of 10 before I went in but as I walked out, I want to turn it down to like one or two out of 10. I still had a little bit of noise, but nothing like the noise that I had. I felt calm. I felt relaxed. I felt um, total, they call it equanimity, the Buddhists. I was in a state of inner calmness. So during your journeys, and of course, people will need to read your book, Life Without yeah. a Tie, because you, you go into so much uh, wonderful detail and take us yeah. on the journey. 
Uh, how did you figure out where you were going to go next or what was going to happen next? Yeah, mostly through conversations, through reading online about different places and through the desire and interest to learn new stuff as well, all a combination of all of those things. But, you know, mm -hmm. um, I can't. And when we had Annie and I had a sort of plan for the first year and a half that we'd worked out when we were in England. Um, but what was driving it for me after a couple of years was things I'd all like. In the first couple of years, I'd come across something like an elephant sanctuary in Thailand where they were yes. rescuing elephants. And I'd been to Nepal yeah. in the Himalayas and I'd yeah. set up a picnic for some kids at an orphanage in Pokhara in Nepal. And they loved it, these kids. And so I started to, after a couple of years, I started to think, God, these places have really touched my heart. What could I do while I'm on this trip? What could I do to contribute? What could I do to be useful? how can I use my business knowledge and skills to deploy some real hard help and resources to these people? Because they don't have anyone championing them. They don't have loads of money. They're trying to do stuff on a shoestring. And I was sat with that without knowing the answer. And I just, as I traveled, I was thinking about it. And then by chance, I met a guy, a traveler. And I said, what do you do for fun? He said, oh, I, li I like to run. I run marathons. <laughs> this guy was 10 years younger than me in his 30s. I was 48. And I said, oh, tell me about running marathons. And when he told me about it, I got so excited when I was listening. I, I, my body started tingling. I knew there was something. I said to him, his name's Matt. I said, Matt, do you think I could run a marathon? See, he looked at me. He said, well, you look quite fit. Have you run before? I said, no, never. He said, well, <laughs> he said, why do you want to do it? And I said, well, I've got this idea that if I could run a marathon, I could start a fundraising foundation and I could ask my friends around the world to donate money that I could give mm -hmm. to this orphanage and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the marathon would just be an excuse to trigger the whole thing. He said, ah, oh, right. He said, okay, then what I'll do is you, you stay in Chiang Mai for six months. I'll train you how to run a marathon and I'll make sure you're capable of it. And so I said, okay, it's a deal. And so he became my coach and he trained me and he said, what marathon do you want to run? I said, well, let me think about that. And you know, the truth is two years before I went on a trip to New York and I saw the end of the New York marathon in Central Park and I thought, God, that's the top marathon in the world. I thought, if I ever run a marathon, I want to do it here. But then I forgot about that. And I said, well, I'd like to run the New York marathon, if I'm honest. He said, well, you need to go in the ballot. And if you know that's how you get a place, there's a draw, because there's loads of people who want to do it. So I put my name in the ballot, and I got a place first time, no problem. And that, I knew that was a – I call yeah. that a confirmation signal. I've got yeah. this thing with the universe – when I make a decision to do something, I ask the universe, send me a confirmation signal so that I know it's the right decision. And when I got the place with ease quickly, first time, I knew that was the right thing. And I, you know, confirmation signal, I, I borrow that language from, I used to be a pilot, you know, when I was in my leisure time. And you, when you're flying an airplane and you're navigating, you need to hear confirmation signals in your ear for various navigation beacons so that you know you've got the right beacon that you're following and uh, that's where i borrow that language from so that's that's what it was and so i ran the new york marathon in 2009 first of november and i raised fifteen thousand dollars from friends and donators all around the world and then i took the money to nepal you know in cash and <laughs> went and you know, I, I supervised it because I was a bit worried they might kind of leak the money away, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I made sure it got spent, every single cent got spent on something for the kids and computers, software, a uh, new roof for the one of the school buildings, books, clothes, everything. I got make sure they got everything. 
it took me six months to do that bit so um it was lovely though it was like a real joy it was the first work in my life that was done purely for for the for the meaning you know for passion yeah yeah didn't earn a, i didn't earn a penny but it was um more satisfying i think than hitting some of my targets in my business when i was ceo yeah so you have gone such a journey and you you returned from i don't know if i want to say you returned from living that lifestyle because i have a sense you still kind of do it right yeah um, I, I did i i, I obviously yeah. um downgraded my lifestyle quite a bit because i felt that it wasn't worth the cost my, the cost of living that i'd engaged with as an affluent businessman it was it, it it required huge amounts of consumption i was you know bought the best products i was eating at the finest restaurants belonging to clubs everything you know was expensive 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 but a lot of those things i didn't really truly enjoy i was doing it because the character of a businessman does that Right. Um, but it wasn't really me. So I thought if I chopped out a lot of that stuff that I don't really enjoy anyway, and just be much more modest about my financial needs, I probably could live my life happily earning a lot less, which means I have to work a lot less. <laughs> so I've got more time to be contributive, to write books, to do projects for the social community and other things, which I really do love. So that's I, I just adjusted the balance of things in my life, really. So um, it... it... I got a couple of questions. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Loretta's always got questions. Great. Um, when you, um, wh what advice would you give someone or, or how would you help someone? Let's say that somebody's out there listening to this show and maybe there's people that are ready to throw everything away and, and go do what you did, right? Maybe there's people that just want to step back a little bit or, or try to embrace it within the context of their life. Yeah. What would you like to say to them? Yeah, I think the place to start, well, it was for me, and I know a lot of people I coach, it's always the start place. I think you've got to have some self-knowledge first. That's the starting point. What I, in the book, I, I wrote at the end of the book, my six rules for happiness. And rule number one is you've got to build a solid foundation in yourself, and that means self-knowledge. So let me give you some specifics. You've got to know what your values are. Somehow or other, you've got to know what's most important to you on a daily basis. Like my values are freedom, love, integrity, and exploration. So every choice I make, if at all possible, should be honoring at least one of those values. And I don't want to make choices that dishonor those. So because every time I make a choice that does that, it takes me further off track. And every time I make a choice that honors those values, it puts me right in the middle of my own center line and I feel great. So knowing what your values are is a good step. Knowing what beliefs you're holding in your mind, because there's two kinds of belief. One type of belief empowers you, like holding the belief it's good to be generous. That's a great belief. It's empowering. It's helpful. Everyone benefits from that belief. But holding the belief I'm not good enough, it's not helpful, and it's not 100% true either. So that's a very restricting, limiting belief to hold that kind of belief. Yeah. So. So knowing the difference and the, which beliefs you're holding and then actively working to change your thinking so that those beliefs shift, that's another core foundational thing. What's your purpose? What's, what's your vision? You know, knowing how you want your life to look, ideally, if you can mm -hmm. draw a picture of your ideal life and then ask yourself, so am I moving towards that vision or am I moving away from that vision? 
what is the my vision? You know, what does it look like? Um, things like that. You know, Sir Ken Robinson wrote this lovely book called Being in Your Element. And when you are really good at something, you're really skillful at, and you've got this love or passion for something, and the two things combine, he said, that's when you're in your element. You're doing something you love and something you're really good at, and you just get lost in it. It's so brilliant. Like, you see people that like do things like, you know, uh, dancing or something as yeah. a passion. Yeah. They love it. It feels brilliant. They're really good at it. And they're in their element when they're dancing or singing or whatever yeah. they're doing. Yeah. So how much of your life do you spend in your element? Because if you spend no time at all in your element, it's quite hard to keep going. Yeah, yeah. So, that, so was, building these are examples. I hope I haven't said too much. No, no, you, you're you're just fine. Um, I was I was um, remembering in your book how you're talking about how you observe people get up and spending time with each other before they go off and go to work, like this sense of community. Which yeah, I, I think we've lost a lot of that. Like I was yeah. talking to someone the other day, like they, she said, Loretta, do you know your neighbors? And I said, well, yeah, I actually do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, wow, nobody knows their neighbors anymore, right? Like we don't yeah. talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't think it's, I think that's partly because it's people value being in a community, but they've lost connection with themselves yeah. because they're not reflecting. They're not inwardly looking and going, why am I feeling unhappy? What's not being, what's the need that's not being met right now? Yeah. And how, and how, what steps can I take to meet that need? Well, and, and so, I sometimes think people don't even have the time to ask themselves that question. How yeah. am I feeling? It's like, I just got to run to the next thing. Yeah. And I was very lucky because in the decisions that I made, I gave myself the time to reflect a lot on those things. So I get, so, you know, I just had that space. So you are, um, coaching people or working with people now? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people in the business world who you are know, leading organizations or leading parts of organizations. I do a lot of coaching work with those people to help them become better leaders, more empathetic, more compassionate, more understanding of what really drives the loyalty and, you know, engagement of the people that work for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, this is a crazy question. I think people just are going to have to read the book for this one. Yes. How did you? How did you change from the before the before event, yeah. <laughs> the before tower and the after tower? Well, it's a gradual you... process for a start, yeah. you know, because yeah. I'm in the book. I'm writing about a period that lasted 14 years, and I did the vipassana after six months. After six years, I did some really deep personal change yeah. work called the Hoffman process, which is an yeah. eight day process. And I wrote a chapter about that. I'd started coaching businessmen in Asia as part of my own experimentation, because I, I was doing that part time to see how I'd to see how different I was in myself in, as a coach from when I was in London. So, so I, I commenced that and that was part of my learning, part of my shift. And then I joined uh, an organization called the Asian Leadership Institute, who had this beautiful program to teach the mindfulness from monasteries as part of leadership development in business and they sort of evolved it for the business world in a way it could be taught easily to ceos and other executives and i really 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 wanted to i'd always wanted to share the experience of being in those retreats and those mindfulness practices with the business world and now i had a, a way i could do it so i've been a teacher of that program for the last seven or eight years and I do that. And that's, that's a virtual program. So I do that online with businessmen all over the world. Um, 
when you're talking, I just keep getting this. Number one, your energy feels like a breath of fresh air and what you're teaching people. You know, it's like all of a sudden we can breathe. Yeah. And I went, it's such, you're so in alignment with what I call is, is the future that we're already living within. Yeah. Um, and this idea of bringing ourselves to this higher state of consciousness as we work together in community and, and finding why are we really here? What are we really meant to do? And sometimes yeah. I think we're just here to have fun. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't always work out that way, but uh, yeah. it's, it's definitely a journey. Um, what do you really want to share with people? What do you want to say to them today? What I really want to share is what I've learned from my own journey is that the most important thing to improve one's life is, is to really examine what your thinking is. It's not really anything on the outside. This is the great news. The best news I can deliver today is to change your life, you don't need to go on a round-the-world trip. You don't need to change where you live. You don't need to change anything external. But you need to find ways of shifting how your own thinking works and be paying close attention to what your patterns of thinking are because that's where all the freedom lies if you can unlock some of those patterns and beliefs. Yeah. And that's that's the truth of it, I think. The trap of the mind. Yeah, yeah. It's, an inner, it's an inner game. Life is definitely an inner game. I listen to a lot of teachers on this topic, you know, and people I really respect, like Joe Dispenza is very popular. You know, I've listened yeah. to a lot of his teachings. And, you know, it's, you know, so much in, in, in what's possible when you start to see and understand how your own mind is holding you captive and is kind of holding your potential back. Um, and it's hard to see on your own. It sometimes is only possible to even start to get glimpses when you've got someone helping you see that. But but the more you practice that and being still and being mindful just gives you more access to your inner wisdom voice, which I found. I didn't even listen to my intuition for years. And then the more I sat still and just be quiet, the more my inner voice of wisdom started to get louder and louder and speak to yeah. me and tell me, tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally, totally yes to that. Yeah. Well, um, just before we close, I want to let you know, I've been to the Elephant Sanctuary in Thailand and I've oh, climbed, climbed Annapurna. And uh, when I was in the Chitwan National Forest, um, I came out and the elephants were in the river. Oh, my God. Who doesn't love elephants? Yeah. I, I laid on my stomach like a little girl and just went, oh, my God, they're moving. I love them. So anyway, thank you so much, Ray Martin. Life Without a Tie and uh, lifewithoutatie.com. Thank you so much. Blessings to you on your journies and to everybody out there. Yeah. Thanks, hey, Loretta. We got this. Thank you Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Much.